Good morning. It is a beautiful spring morning coming into one of my most favorite times of the year, spring. And you can begin, you can just begin to see, depending on where you are, some of the, the buds and the leaves coming on the trees. And uh, I am looking forward to that. So this morning, we're going to continue in uh, this series on ecclesiology, the study of the, the church. And uh, as we look back, we had uh, Brian do a couple of weeks on why the church matters. Last week, I spent time on what is the church. Today, we're going we're gonna to spend time on why does your participation in the church matter. Next week, we're going to start three different subtopics on how the church is ordered. So James will come and deal with the congregation. Doug will come and deal with elders. And then he'll come again and deal with deacons. And then Brian will come up and he'll do a couple weeks on the ordinances, which we briefly mentioned last week. And Dave is going to wrap us up in a bow with a couple of weeks on discipleship. So a lot of things yet to be, to be talked about. Now our goal is trying to ensure that we fully comprehend how important the church is, but how important the local church is that visible representation. And so I'll probably spend most of my time this morning on what does it mean to be a member of a local church. Now, if you haven't gotten it, are all the handouts gone? Barb, you want to make some more? I'm going to reference a number of things um, in the, in the handout this morning. So if you can, when she comes back, if you don't have one, just go ahead and stop back there and grab one. But let's pray first, and then let's go spend some time in God's Word and see what does God say about the local church. Father, uh, we come and we're joyful and thankful we come because we're your children. And uh, that happened when the Holy Spirit quickened us and our hearts and minds were changed. And we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so now we're in the body of Christ, but we're also here in this local church, which is part of that. So help us this morning. We pray your spirit is working in all of us and through me as I try and share what, what God says about his bride, the local church. We pray in Jesus' name for his sake, his glory. Amen. So the first thing I want to do, because I am going to focus on 
being a member of a local church, we could ask the question, well, what does that mean? And I want to deal with some language about that right away. And oftentimes you'll hear the terminology, well, I'm going to join a local church. And I'm going to say, um, you're probably not going to hear me use that term very much. I, I don't want us or others either to think, okay, well, it's like joining the Kiwanis Club or it's joining this organization or that organization. I don't think the word join is the proper word. And so I've got three little sub-bullets, which are really the main emphasis that I want you to exit with today. The first is, we don't join churches, we submit to them. Or in more formal terms, the church membership is a church's formal affirmation and continued oversight over a Christian's profession of faith. And it's a Christian's submission to that affirmation and oversight. It's more than just joining a club. Two, church membership is a covenant between believers whereby they affirm one another's profession of faith, and they do that through the ordinances, and they agree to aid one another in discipleship. And then third, church membership is an earthly declaration of heavenly citizenship in Christ's kingdom. Or as Mark Deaver would say, the church is the gospel made visible. I'll repeat those at the end because they're, I think they're, they're heavy. They're, that's heavy thought about what's going on when we not just participate in a local church, but we consider ourselves members, a covenanted, covenanted group of believers affirming each other. Now we need to remember when it comes to church, we've used some passages in the past to help focus on what's going on there in Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians 3. I want this, this particular large passage to stand out for you from here on out in your lives and in this church life. And the, the passages we've emphasized in the past weeks was Ephesians 3, 10, and 11, where he says, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And that was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has realized in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then if you go down to the very end of chapter 3, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory, which we've been saying is the important piece of everything here. To him be the glory 
in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. The church, part of God's purpose and plan for this age. We believe now, if you will, we have a, a comment or a phrase that we've had over the years. We developed this some years ago when the leadership team was working through some leadership training material and the book of Acts. And on your handout, you can see that God has a plan for this age, and it's clearly and completely stated in this Ephesians 3 passage. And we, we phrased it as follows. God's plan for the age is to bring glory to himself. And he does that by the proclamation of the gospel of his son Jesus Christ to all the nations and by building his church. And he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit in order that his manifold wisdom might be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, this God's plan for the age statement, if you will, cannot be accomplished by individuals acting in isolation from other members of the extended family or from the rest of the body of Christ. No lone rangers. Neither can it be accomplished by individual or extended family units functioning by themselves in isolation or exclusion of other families in the body of Christ, the local church. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Having family devotions in your home is not church. God's plan is for individuals to function harmoniously within an extended family unit and for individuals and families to function in harmony with other family units in a local church context. Each entity, the local church, the family, the individual, must function as an integrated whole, not as individual isolated parts. That's important. That's an important premise that we would have when we think about church, when we think about a local church. That's more than just attendance. That's more than just sitting in a chair going to church on Sunday and going home and say, okay, that's church. What we're saying and what we think scripture is saying is there's a lot more to it. And I'm going to spend time this morning articulating what all is involved. Now I'm going to, I'm going to focus at first here on a path passage in first Timothy 1 Timothy 3.15. That's on your handout too. And this, this passage, by the way, actually is pretty much the theme of 1 Timothy as an epistle. This is Paul writing to Timothy. And he says in 1 Timothy 3.15, 
But in case I'm delayed, I'm writing this epistle, this letter, so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself. Conduct him or herself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. That's a pretty heavy passage if you really spend some time looking at it. Note how the family and the church are related. Household of God. That pretty much says the church is like a household, a family structure with roles and responsibilities. And in the same fashion, the church has roles that are patterned after the family roles. Now, if you spend time in the letters, you can see this again and again and again in Ephesians and Colossians and 1 Timothy and Titus. There's a very direct relationship between family roles and church roles. God's household is a family, okay? It's not an organization. When you, last week we mentioned, when you first believed, you were born again and then baptized into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And as we saw in last week's message, the body of Christ and the church are synonymous. And the visible characteristic of the church is the local church. That's us, here, right now. This is the gathering. The gathering of believers in a local assembly, in a specific location. So, with that, let's answer some questions. <clears throat> First question, why submit to a local church? Why should I submit to a local church? In Deaver's book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, he gives five general reasons as to why, why would I submit myself to a local church. And the first thing he says is, one of the reasons is to assure ourselves that we are in fact saved. And the first time I read that, I went, really? But here's, here's his explanation. This is really interesting. It is easy to fool ourselves into thinking we're Christians simply because... At one time, we made a tearful decision and then joined the church. Perhaps we've gone along with the life of the church for years, supporting its organizations, making friendships based around activities, liking the hymns, complaining about others, but never really knowing Christ. Do you have a vital relationship with Christ that changes your life and the lives of those around you? That's the question. 
Then he says, how can you tell if you do? One of the ways you can discover the truth about your own life is to ask this question. Listen carefully. Do I understand that following Christ fundamentally involves how I treat other people? Especially other people who are members of my church. Have I covenanted together to love them and do I give myself to that? Or have you claimed that you know a love from God in Christ and yet live in a way that contradicts that claim? Do you claim that you know this kind of love that knows no bounds and yet in loving others you set bounds, saying in effect, I'll go this far, but no farther. Such a claim to love without a life backing it up is a bad sign. Think about that. The second, the second reason he gives is that with the church, it's there to evangelize the world. We're not to be lone ranger believers out there on our own. God has ordained the church to do evangelism. That's important. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. Listen to this. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the word, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. That's what we're supposed to be about. We are ambassadors for Christ. And this little church assembly is an embassy in this neighborhood for the kingdom. Get it? Do we think that way? Or we, do we just think about, well, if I do evangelism, it's just about me. It ain't about you. It's about Christ and his church. The third thing he says is that it's, it's used to help expose false gospels. Note in that, in that passage in 1 Timothy 3.15, the household of God, which is the church of the living of God, the pillar and support of the truth. And sometimes the church needs to expose when the truth is not happening. Things like the prosperity gospel. That's a false gospel. Needs to be exposed. Fourth, another reason is to edify the church. We're supposed to be using our God-given spiritual gifts to build up the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. 
but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When you became a believer, when you got baptized into the body of Christ, you were given a spiritual gift, maybe more than one. But that gift is not given for you, it's given for the body. And it's used to build up and edify the body. But you need to be doing it. You need to be exercising it so that that edification happens. And then the last, which we've referenced many times and will continue, is it's to glorify God. Five reasons why you should submit to a local church. Now it's important to note that the members in a church are believers. Not, non-believers are not members in the body of Christ. They're not members in a local church. Now, they may attend, but they are not part of the body. That would mean, can you profess the gospel that saved you? Can you attest to a changed life? Have you been baptized? Thus, publicly identifying yourself with Christ? Those are three prerequisites for considering yourself a member of a local church. And members should know and agree with the church's doctrine and its governance or its polity. How is it governed? How is it led? How is it structured and organized? Elder leadership and deacons. Doug's going to come down the road in a couple of weeks and he's going to elaborate on that. And then members have responsibilities. Some of those responsibilities you heard when Brian taught about why, why does the church matter. And he said the responsibility, the responsibilities are three that he brought out. Protect the gospel, proclaim the gospel, provide an apologetic for the gospel. Those are three things that believers, as part of a local church, are responsible for. And then there are some others that are brought out by Scripture, participating in church meetings and gatherings, fulfilling one another commands, using your gifts, generous giving, praying. If you turn your sheet over, the handout, I copied one of the pages from a six-page document that we have for members. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's other stuff in that document just for the sake of today's sermon, I pulled one page of that document out because it starts to articulate some of these things that are the responsibilities of fellowship. Look at the first paragraph. We believe 
that the local church should receive all those whom Christ has received. So first, true fellowship is based on the fact that the person has received Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. He must be a believer in Jesus. The local church gives visible expression, and you've heard us say that a number of times in the last couple of weeks. We believe all believers in the local church are priests of God endowed with the privilege and responsibility of ministering. Sometimes the sacrifice of your body, sometimes the sacrifice of time and material, the sacrifice of praise are all examples of that. We also believe the privilege of corporate fellowship carries with it certain responsibilities, some of which are as follows. Here we go. First, baptism by immersion. A public acknowledgement of faith in Christ and an act of obedience. Every believer should be baptized. Hopefully that happens soon after you trust Christ as a Savior, but that isn't always necessarily the case. But it's something that needs to be seriously considered. Identifying yourself with Christ. Baptism doesn't save you, but it demonstrates what has happened. It demonstrates that you have been saved. You died with Christ, and then you rose with Christ. Two, meeting regularly for worship. It's imperative that you meet together regularly. And you do that for teaching, fellowship, the Lord's table, and prayer. Three, doctrines of the church. In order to promote unity of the faith and prevent divisions, it's important to be in pursuit of ultimate agreement with the biblical doctrines and the philosophy of ministry of CBC. Now, everybody comes into the body, this local church, and y'all come from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different teaching. But if you come into this body of believers, being a member means we're going to try and be one-minded as best we can about the doctrines that this church adheres to. And so it says, be in pursuit of ultimate agreement. That's the direction that we should all be going. Four, leadership by elders. Talked about this some last week. And Doug's going to deep dive with us on this. We believe God has appointed elders to exercise government and take oversight of the interest. They should be remembered, respected, yield to, and will... We'll elaborate some more on that in a little bit. Number five, we have a mission statement, and it reflects the, the statement earlier from Ephesians that we read. Our mission, bring glory to God. And we do that by obeying the commission of Jesus to make disciples, to evangelize, establish the saints in the faith, equip the saints to the work of ministry, expand the local church locally and abroad. That is our general thrust as a body of believers. We need to be in agreement on that. Six, 
spiritual service. God has uniquely gifted every believer for some type of service. It's a privilege and a responsibility to give a portion of your time and your gifts to the work of ministry. And then finally, financial support. The local church is the primary and designated agency for carrying out God's purpose and plan and merits financial support of his people. Everything you have belongs to God. You don't keep 90% and say, here's 10% back, Lord. That isn't how it works. Everything belongs to him. The question is, you're a steward. Are you stewarding? And how does that relate to the body, the local church? How does that stewarding look financially? A lot of passages on that. Probably the best one is 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Very comprehensive New Testament view of finances. That's the responsibility for responsibilities for a member. There are responsibilities for the leaders and the elders of the flock, and that is lead the flock, feed the flock, protect the flock. And again, Doug will be delving more on that. And then specifically, there's responsibilities of the flock towards their leadership and the elders. Here's some passages to consider. 1 Corinthians 16, 15, and 16. Be in subjection or submit to your leaders with humility. And it goes, now, I urge you, brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanas, that they are the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to ministry to the saints. I urge you that you be subject to such as these and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. But we ask you, brothers and sisters, to recognize those who diligently labor among you and, on our, and are in leadership over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you regard them very highly in love because of their work. Know your leaders. Esteem your leaders. 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 19. To give honor and to give double honor to those who teach and preach, and not to incorrectly accept an accusation against one of them. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they may do this with joy, not groaning, for this would be unhelpful for you. You have responsibilities as members in the church towards the leadership given these passages. So, submitting to a church 
means to acknowledge you have a new identity and you're willing to embrace a new authority. Every member accepts a new role and responsibility. Every member is an ambassador representing Jesus. Being a part of a church is the public side of following Jesus. Being in the household, the church, provides a level of protection for you if you're single or family, if married. There is a sense of protection that happens. And finally, this is how you fight the good fight, not as a lone ranger, but as a member of Christ's body in the local church. There you have it. Those are the kinds of things that have to do with participation and why your participation in the local church matters. Putting all these uh, commands and responsibilities into in the practice, though, requires three things, and that's at the bottom of your handout. First, and they're all dealing with relationships. First, there has to be relationships that are committed. Listen to these two passages, Romans 12, 9 and 10. Love must be free of hypocrisy, detest what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. 1 John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. Two, relationships with a defined group of people are required. John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give to you. You love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Colossians 3, 12 and 13, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. And then third, relationships are required that give permission to exhort, reprove, and rebuke each other. That's the heavy one. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly. Romans 16.17 I urge you, brothers and sisters, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned. The relationships we have to have in order to bring all of this that we talked about together, they're pretty involved. They're pretty life-fulfilling. They're very much life-sharing 
And in many ways, they're completely out of our typical comfort zones, right? It requires a commitment. Remember, earlier we called it a covenant. So, if a church is modeling that, if a church is living out all of those points and responsibilities, then it becomes, I think, automatically evangelistic because when people see a body of believers, totally different people from totally different families and backgrounds, come together and love one another, that's a miracle. It is a miracle, if you think about it. Here's an example of how that, how that works. Some of you may have heard me use this example before. But it's, a, I think, a great example of this church demonstrating that to somebody who was a non-believer and became a believer. And it's about a guy named Arthur. He uses the name Arthur Peters now because he became a believer when he was here. But listen, listen to the story. He was an exchange student at SPSU. And uh, he was in a Bible study group uh, of about, I'd, I'd say, 10 or 12 Chinese students. Rob and I were doing studies from scratch with Chinese international students from SPSU. And he was one of them. And he started to go to church, if you will, with Barb and I. We would meet him here, or we'd pick him up. And most Sundays he would be here. Now back then, Sunday after church, we had a lunch every single Sunday. Today we have a lunch. So it's like that. <clears throat> but it was every single week. And we were, we were talking a lot with Arthur, and he was participating in a lot of the... the uh, the events where we would take them out and he would get to see a little bit about what America was like in different ways. And after about two months, I asked him, so what has stuck out for you and what did you like the most so far in all the things you've experienced in America? His response set me back. He said the most impressive thing was the church lunch dinner time out of all the things that he saw. And I was like, what? I never expected to hear that as the answer. He was amazed that all these different people with different families ate together and shared their lives together every Sunday. 
He said, you never see this in China. Only the immediate and related members of the family ever eat together. Thus, the church family, God's household, was something he had never seen before. And it stuck out for him boldly. It was significant. It wasn't normal. To this day, whenever he calls me to share what's happening in China, he always asks about the church, this church. And it's because the whole church participated in living and sharing the gospel with him. It was a beautiful example of a church evangelistic effort. Not just the Peters, the Thompsons, the Wolves, the Vedatos, other families, other individuals all shared the gospel in different ways. And eventually, he became a believer. His second semester, he was living with us. And he became a believer. And he became an avid believer. And he went back to China, and he was evangelizing people, proclaiming the gospel. He became a member of a local church there, and he actually had us come over eventually after some years and participate in his wedding in Beijing, China. It was very interesting. The point of the story is the power of the local church. Not just you as an individual, but the power of how the church can look to a lost and dying world. It's got more power than I think we really comprehend. The same power exists in your families. Your families, when you have kids, the international students just love it. And they watch. They watch how your family functions. And they're just constantly contrasting it with non-believer living and lifestyle. And so the family units many times can become a real powerful evangelistic example. And then that family unit, if you draw them in and make them participants of the family, then you can draw them in and make them participants in the local church, and they'll see that power in the local church too. Think about that. Consider that. That's what God designed us and the body to be like. So raising your kids and having a family and all the stuff that that involves, there's a lot more to it than just trying to get them to be old enough to be adults. They can become part of the outreach effort. The last passage to reference is one you're familiar with. But now listen to it, perhaps with a little bit different perspective based on everything we said today. It's Acts 2.42 through 47. Turn there, and let's read that.
Acts 2.42. This is the early church. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all the believers were together and had all things in common. And they would sell their property and possessions and share them with all to the extent that anyone had need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Beautiful, beautiful example of many of the things we talked about today. And we can do that too. We do it in here and then we do it when we go out and we have fellowship over the meal. So again, what is church membership? What did we say at the beginning? We said we don't join churches, we submit to them. In formal terms, church membership is a church's formal affirmation and continued oversight over a Christian's profession of faith. And it's a Christian's submission to that affirmation and oversight. Church membership is a covenant between believers, whereby they affirm one another's profession of faith through the ordinances and agree, agree to aid one another in discipleship. Church membership is an earthly declaration of heavenly citizenship in Christ's kingdom. So, kind of keep that in mind, and as we go through the weeks ahead and all the other topics, and when we come to the end, if you have not formally done membership and covenanted with us, then let's visit that again, and let's take a look at a member document at that point in time, after you've seen the whole, the whole scope of ecclesiology. The local church does matter. It is, it is important.